Chapter 49 of White Jacket or The World in a Man of War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. White Jacket or The World in a Man of War by Herman Melville. Chapter 49. Rumors of a War and how they were received by the population of the Neversink. While lying in the harbor of Callao in Peru, certain rumors had come to us touching a war with England, growing out of the long-vexed northeastern boundary question. In Rio these rumors were increased, and the probability of hostilities induced our Commodore to authorize proceedings that closely brought home to every man on board the Neversink his liability at any time to be killed at his gun. Among other things, a number of men were detailed to pass up the rusty cannonballs from the shot-lockers in the hold and scrape them clean for service. The Commodore was a very neat gentleman and would not fire a dirty shot into his foe. It was an interesting occasion for a tranquil observer, nor was it altogether neglected, not to recite the precise remarks made by the seamen while pitching the shot up the hatchway from hand to hand, like schoolboys playing ball ashore, it will be enough to say that, from the general drift of their discourse, jocular as it was, it was manifest that, almost to a man, they abhorred the idea of going into action. And why would they desire a war? Would their wages be raised? Not a cent. The prize-money, though, ought to have been an inducement. But of all the rewards of virtue, prize-money is the most uncertain, and this the man-of-war's man knows. What, then, has he to expect from war? What but harder work and harder usage than in peace? A wooden leg or arm, mortal wounds, and death? Enough, however, that by far the majority of the common sailors of the Neversink were plainly concerned at the prospect of war, and were plainly averse to it. But with the officers of the quarter-deck it was just the reverse. None of them, to be sure, in my hearing at least, verbally expressed their gratification, but it was unavoidably betrayed by the increased cheerfulness of their demeanor toward each other, their frequent fraternal conferences, and their unwonted animation for several days in issuing their orders. The voice of Mad Jack, always a belfry to hear, now resounded like that famous bell of England, Great Tom of Oxford. As for Selvagee, he wore his sword with a jaunty air, and his servant daily polished the blade. But why this contrast between the forecastle and the quarter-deck, between the man-of-war's man and his officer? because, though war would equally jeopardize the lives of both, yet while it held out to the sailor no promise of promotion, and what is called glory, these things fired the breast of his officers. It is no pleasing task, nor a thankful one, to dive into the souls of some men, but there are occasions when, to bring up the mud from the bottom, reveals to us on what soundings we are, on what coast we adjoin. How were these officers to gain glory? 
how but by a distinguished slaughtering of their fellow men how were they to be promoted how but over the buried heads of killed comrades and messmates this hostile contrast between the feelings with which the common seamen and the officers of the neversink looked forward to this more than possible war is one of many instances that might be quoted to show the antagonism of their interests the incurable antagonism in which they dwell but can men whose interests are diverse ever hope to live together in a harmony uncoerced can the brotherhood of the race of mankind ever hope to prevail in a man of war where one man's bane is almost another's blessing by abolishing the scourge shall we do away tyranny that tyranny which must ever prevail where of two essentially antagonistic classes in perpetual contact one is immeasurably the stronger surely it seems all but impossible and as the very object of a man of war as its name implies is to fight the very battles so naturally averse to the seamen so long as a man of war exists it must ever remain a picture of much that is tyrannical and repelling in human nature being an establishment much more extensive than the american navy the english armed marine furnishes a yet more striking example of this thing especially as the existence of war produces so vast an augmentation of her naval force compared with what it is in time of peace it is well known what joy the news of bonaparte's sudden return from elba created among crowds of british naval officers who had previously been expecting to be sent ashore on half pay thus when all the world wailed these officers found occasion for thanksgiving i urge it not against them as men their feelings belonged to their profession had they not been naval officers they had not been rejoicers in the midst of despair when shall the time come how much longer will god postpone it when the clouds which at times gather over the horizons of nations shall not be hailed by any class of humanity and invoked to burst as a bomb standing navies as well as standing armies serve to keep alive the spirit of war even in the meek heart of peace in its very embers and smoulderings they nourish that fatal fire and half-pay officers as the priests of mars yet guard the temple though no god be there end of chapter forty nine recording by james k white chula vista